I don't know about you, but Jesus sure made a difference in my life. And if he had not come, I'd just be like everybody else, going through this life with no real purpose, no real goal, just kind of living for myself, and that would be only short-lived. But man, he gave me eternal purpose and an eternal destiny. And it was only because he came. Exodus chapter 4 tonight. We'll kind of pick up where we left off last week. And trying to call to your memory what was going on, Moses has just had his burning bush experience. And out of that bush came words like, Moses, when they ask you who sent you, you tell them I am sent you. Because Moses, I am that I am. And at that bush, God gave Moses a purpose. I'm talking about He gave him the plan of God for Moses' life. Not only did He do that, He cast this amazing vision for Moses saying, Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh and he's not going to let you go. Oh, not by a mighty hand. He's going, to, he's going to try holding on. But Moses, I'm going to do something great in your life. And I'm going to do something great in the children of Israel's life. Moses, I'm going to just blow your mind with the experiences that I'm going to give you. I mean, if you were Moses, I, I would hope that I would be a little excited about the prospect of God using me. Saying, Moses, I've got a plan, and, and I would say, oh, God's going to use me. God, show me what's going to happen. God's told me what's going to go down. Man, I'm so excited. Would you not hope that that would be your reaction as well? God's got a plan for me, and He's going to use me. Boy, that would be an awesome thing to have happen in our lives. But can I start out the message by saying this? God does have a plan for you. And God's trying to give you the vision for your life. His plan is so marvelous, and the path that He asks you to walk is so magnificent, and He's just waiting for you to step out in faith and grab it. But after our chapter 3, I'm afraid we often find ourselves at our chapter 4. Where we're at tonight. And what goes on right now in Moses' own heart and his mind and his life is actually quite confusing because you would think with God directly speaking to him. Isn't that what we always ask for? God, just let me know. God, you just tell me where to go and I'll go. But you see, in the Bible, even when God spoke directly to Moses, he still had some trouble. And that's what we're going to look at tonight in Exodus chapter 4. And I'm not going to reveal to you the title of my message yet. I'm not going to get into it much yet, but we'll go at Exodus chapter 4. The Bible says, And Moses answered. Now this is right after God's cast this vision. Right after God gave him the plan. God laid it out step by step by step what was going to happen. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me. Nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. 
and he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. Now, really, if you study this passage, that's the only smart thing that Moses does the whole time. He runs from the rod when it becomes a serpent. And that's exactly what I would have done. But Moses here, uh, he doesn't do too many smart things. Verse number 4, And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said, Furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, Put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom, and behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river, and pour it upon the dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well, and also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him, and put words in his mouth, and I will be with thy mouth, and with his mouth, and will teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people, and he shall be even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of God. And thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs." When God comes to you and asks you to do something, whether that be taking the next step in your spiritual walk, whether that be going to someone who you know and who are familiar with, or going to someone who you don't know and telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Lord comes to you and asks you to Get rid of things that are weighing you down so that you can live the life that He's called you to live. What's your reaction? Better yet, what's your answer? I would say for a lot of us, we find ourselves in the same boat that Moses does, and we begin to offer up excuses. Excuses. I want to talk to you tonight on this thought, useless excuses. 
Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. We pray tonight that you would be with us. Lord, I pray that your word would be quick and powerful. And Lord, that it would so uniquely pierce each and every heart that it would speak directly to the needs of that individual. Lord, I, I, I really am up here simply trying to preach your word to the best of my ability. But I, I know in my heart of hearts that if I preach in my ability, this message will be a failure. So, oh, Father, I pray that you would use me tonight in a mighty way, and I pray that you would be with those who are trying to listen and adhere to what God's word has for them so that you would lead them to the decisions you're calling them to make. And Father, I pray that we would not offer up useless excuses when the time comes for us to respond. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, how many of us have ever maybe fabricated an excuse or two? I, I think I would fall guilty. When the police officer stops you and asks you, do you know the reason I pulled you over? Well, officer, was it because I, you like my vehicle? I don't know about you, but when I actually see the police officer for the very first time, my first reaction is to look at my speedometer. Well, officer, surely I couldn't have been speeding. Well, I know very well I was speeding, actually. That was the first thing I looked at. I've been, I've been known to offer up an excuse or two. I want to do kind of comically take a look at some excuses tonight. So I have compiled the ten best excuses for why kids and teenagers forgot their homework. You ready to go? You ready to listen to them? All right, number ten. I didn't do it because I didn't want to add to your workload, teacher. It's a good one. I wish I had thought of that one when I was in school. I like this one. A bunch of nerds stole it just to make sure that theirs was right. Number three, this is pretty good. A little embarrassing. We ran out of toilet paper at my house last night, and Dad wasn't feeling very well, and he grabbed it in a big rush, and I haven't seen it since. Some of you will get that in a little bit. Number four, well, I guess number six. You said do questions one through ten. You didn't say anything about bringing them back. I like this one. Number five, I was in the lunchroom and another student started criticizing you. And I couldn't let them go without letting them know that what he was doing was wrong. So I searched through my book bag and the only thing I could find to throw at him was last night's homework. And so I just made a decision and I decided to let him have it at that point. Number four, that one wasn't very good, just going by the reaction of the audience. Number four, I didn't do it because I didn't want to make the other kids in the class look bad. Number three, I didn't do my homework because of my eyes. I couldn't see any reason to do it. I guess there's three more, so I messed up on my count somewhere. I have them one through ten, and I was trying to go backwards because the best one's at the bottom. But we'll go with number three now. I like this one a whole lot. Teacher, my mom was just too busy to do it. <laughs> Number two, 
I have a solar-powered calculator, and it just happened to be a cloudy day yesterday. And this is by far my favorite, and I think you might understand why. I left it in a hymn book in the choir loft, having used it to mark my solo for yesterday's worship service. That's pretty good there. Those are some ridiculous excuses, but they're a whole lot better than teaching my dog ate my homework. But even though those are quite ridiculous, I wonder if sometimes God doesn't look at us and Him asking us to do something, and, and our response is we fabricate an excuse while we're not able, while we're not qualified, we're, while we're not the best person for the job, we fabricate this excuse. And I wonder if sometimes God doesn't look at us and just roll His eyes at the folly of our excuses. I want to take a look tonight at three excuses that we use to disqualify ourselves from taking strides for the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're the same ones that Moses made. First of all, and this is very important to note, we blame others. Well, isn't this one of the easiest ways to, to get out of the responsibility of your own actions? Blame your actions on someone else. I want to show you that's exactly what Moses does. God says in chapter 3, Moses, you tell them that I am, I am sent you. I am that I am. Moses, I, I'm going to send you to the people. They will believe you. Pharaoh won't let you go. I'll send plagues. Moses, I'm going to help you do everything. I'm going to help you accomplish everything you need to accomplish. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 4. Moses says this. And Moses answered and said, But behold... Lord, I, I like the plan. Sounds really good, but they will not believe me. Nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. I notice two things that Moses does here that I think we often do. We anticipate the reaction of others. Is that not what Moses does here? God says, Moses, I'm going to send you. Moses, I'm going to do something great with your life. Moses, if you'll just go, I've got it all mapped out. It's going to be great. And Moses says, Yeah, but I know them, and I just know that in the in their heart of hearts, we don't have the best relationship. And I just would assume that they would make a bad decision and not believe me, even though I would go with the best of intentions. But at the end of the day, they wouldn't believe me anyway. And then what he says. I wonder if tonight we could travel back and we could listen to Jesus preaching some of the messages that he preached and, and those Pharisees sitting by as Jesus taught in parables and as he spoke to his disciples and, and those around. And Jesus would begin to give this earthly story with this amazing heavenly meaning and I wonder if in the, the crowd of the Pharisees, you know those Pharisees who are always critical of the ministry of Christ? You know those Pharisees who wanted nothing but to, 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 to touch Jesus in his own words? You know those guys? I wonder if we were to look at that row of Pharisees and doctors of the law, if we wouldn't see Nicodemus standing there. And I wonder as Peter and as John, as all the disciples sat around these campfires and, and heard these stories Jesus preached and, and saw the reaction of the disciples, I wonder if sometimes they didn't look at them and say, I can't believe you'd question Jesus. 
I just can't believe that you would take it upon yourself to try catching Jesus in his own words. I mean, you're worthless. But was it not Nicodemus in John chapter 3 who came to Jesus genuinely seeking salvation? Genuinely seeking, but if I had been Peter and if I had been John, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. They would never understand the ministry of Christ. They would never understand that he is the Messiah. Nicodemus is against Jesus in every way. Oh, but wait. I would then be assuming the reaction that Nicodemus would have, and I would be very wrong. I wonder if we could go back to Calvary, and we would see three crosses on that hillside. In the middle is the Lord Jesus Christ, suffering unjustly for the crimes and sins of humanity, placed all upon himself, suffering and pain and anguish for me. And on the other side of Jesus, there's two men, and, and if you study the Bible, they actually admit to the fact, this man hath done nothing, but we both deserve to be here. And I wonder if I looked at those men and I wouldn't say, oh, that's just a criminal. That man would never listen to the message of Christ if I were to give it to him. Oh, wait. Would I not then be assuming the reaction that he would have to Jesus? And I would be quite wrong. I would be very correct on one of them, but I would be very wrong on the other because that man looks at Jesus and says, Lord, remember me. We often assume the reaction this world's going to have to the message of Christ, do we not? Oh, Brother Andrew, I don't want to go door knocking because the chances are they're just going to slam the door in my face. Wait a minute. You're assuming their reaction to you. And and let me say it better. You're assuming their reaction to Christ. Oh, Brother Andrew, I could never tell my co-workers because then after after I became the guy who loves Jesus and, and after I became the guy who always talked about Jesus, if I became that guy, they would never, never include me on anything else after But wait a minute. Are you not assuming the reaction that they would have to you? Said, Brother Andrew, I could never come down to this altar because I just know that when preacher says every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody actually does it. And I know that every time somebody walks down to the, to the altar, they may have good intentions, but every Pharisee out in the congregation is just saying, look at that hypocrite. Look at that sinner going to, to, to pray to the Lord. Wait a minute. Aren't we assuming everyone's reaction? Aren't we placing in everybody's mind intentions that very well may never have been there in the first place? Man, how ignorant of us it is to assume the reaction of others. When Moses goes to the children of Israel, man, they really to escape from bondage. They're waiting for God to answer their prayers. In fact, the Bible says God heard them because of the cries of their affliction. They were praying for escape. They were praying for help. And yet Moses says, Lord, they probably don't even want what you have to offer. But he assumed their reaction. Oftentimes I feel like we're quite guilty of doing that as well. I believe I've told this story before, but it's one of my favorite stories, so I'll just tell it again. It was the time I decided to go and propose to Amy. And we were going to South Myrtle Beach, and, and we were staying in a beach house, and her family had, 
gotten it. So we were all standing there together. And uh, they were making me sleep in the doghouse because they didn't really like me at that time. I've upgraded to the horse pen now, so that's good. But uh, we, we were having a good old time, and I decided that this was going to be the day that I was going to propose to Amy. And I had the ring, and I just want to let you know, you may think you know a girl, but when it comes to actually getting engaged and starting to think about marriage, they change totally. Because I thought I knew Amy, and she went through my bag trying to find a ring. I felt very violated. But I will say I was smart enough to hide it. So maybe I did know her a little bit. But I remember we, we went out to supper, and we got to the beach where I was going to ask her. We were walking the beach, and, and we were holding Bibles together, and... And, uh, you know, there's got to be enough room for the Holy Spirit, amen? I remember we were walking down that beach, and I was, if you want to hear the story in greater depth, in detail, I'll tell it to you. All I can say is I was acting like a straight fool because everything was just goofy about me that night. And Amy was like, what are you doing? You're so weird. And uh, I was trying to make sure that everything was going down. We finally got to a spot on the beach where... The passerbys had left us far enough here, and there was a, a big enough gap between the next people down there. And, and so we were kind of isolated on the beach together. And, and I grabbed the ring out of my pocket, and I opened the box there. And the cool thing is, at Dave's Jewelers, in case you were looking for some very good jewelry to buy, and I'm hoping he helps me out on my next one for that little advertisement I just gave him. But uh, at Dave's Jewelers, they have this thing, when you open the box, there's a light that shines on the diamond to give the impression that it's sparkling. And, and uh, on this beach, it was just pitch black dark. And when I opened that box, three boats ran into the beach thinking we were a lighthouse. It was, it was awesome because when I opened that box, man, the whole beach just lit up. Everybody saw the box lit up and... I got on my knee and I said, Amy, will you marry me? And this is her reaction. This is what I wanted to hear my whole life. This was everything that I had planned for, everything that I had, had imagined in my heart. I was looking forward to the answer, just, Oh, you're the man of my dreams, the Prince Charming, my knight in shining armor. I was looking for something along those lines, and this is what I got. And I said, is that a no? Or what is that? I'm not sure. You know, I never dreamed that that would be her reaction. I thought it would be, oh, I can't believe it. Yes, yes, I love you. No, this is what I, no. Man, just about the time you think you know how somebody's going to respond to something, you know what you find out? You had no clue how they were going to respond. The same is true with people judging the decisions that you make for the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, but Brother Andrew, there's no way I could ever reveal the secret sin I've been dealing with my whole life. My wife doesn't even know I have this secret sin. There's no way. Everybody would look at me. Everybody would judge me. Everybody would condemn me. Wait. Are you not assigning to me how I'm going to react? 
And I would not judge you. I would praise the Lord for you. I'd say, boy, you made a decision for Christ. You're looking to do something great. Man, that's awesome. But you're assigning to me my reaction. Don't assign to people the reaction that they have. Let us react for ourselves. But one of the quickest ways to disqualify yourself from doing something great for God is just to blame everybody else on why you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Assigning reactions. Secondly, I want you to notice we attribute, attribute faithlessness. We attribute to everyone else the fact that they're not following God in faith, and it's their problem, not ours. And I'll show you how Moses did this. The Bible says in verse number 1, But behold, they will not, what's the next word? Believe me. Does anybody find it ironic that Moses here is talking about how everybody else doesn't have the faith he has? Lord, they don't, they don't, they don't quite have the faith that I have in you. They don't have the faith. If I came to them and just said, look, Lord, I'll do something great for you, they wouldn't believe me. They, they couldn't see the spiritual end to losing a guy like me. And he just assumes that they and of themselves don't have the all of faith enough to see that God has in a deliverer. I remember one day my dad and I had just gotten done playing golf at Hidden Creek Golf Course. That's right up here off Hidden Creek Parkway and I-35. It's the one right there uh, on, on I-35 here in Burleson, right past the Waffle House and American National Bank. You probably don't know where the bank is, but Waffle House. Y'all know where that is, absolutely. Everybody got to know where the Waffle Houses are around town, Amen. Some people call it awful waffle. I call it awesome waffle. Just that, that's my, the way I go about it. But you know where it is. There to the right is I-35 off Hidden Creek Parkway. I remember we had gotten done playing around, and we, we got out of the parking lot, and we turned left. And we have been playing this golf course for years and years and years and years and years, and this has been fine up until now. But the very first time we turn left, we realize that there's somebody in our lane. And we go look at each other and we're like, what is this guy doing? He's in our lane. Our lane. So he finally gets over and he honks at us. He says, what are you honking at us for? You're the guy in our lane. We drive on down just a little bit further. And what do you know what? There's another idiot in our lane. And my dad looked at what is this guy doing? Doesn't he know that we're not in London? Doesn't he know that we drive on the right-hand side of the road and they drive on the left-hand? Wait, wait, no, that would get us backwards. We're not driving on the right-hand side of the road. Doesn't this guy know? It wasn't until we got much further down the road we saw a sign. It was a unique sign. It only had one arrow facing one direction. It said the words, one way. And we had been traveling the wrong way on a one-way road. That's why everybody was in the airline, because it wasn't actually them wrong. We were wrong. We were on a, a, a one-lane road heading the wrong direction. Isn't that very easy to do, though? Blame everybody else for the problems in your life. Oh, man, I'll just tell you what. If you could know what oh, Miss Cindy did, or if you really know what Brother John did, if you really could see the lack of faith that they're demonstrating, in fact, they would even say that preacher sometimes holds me back with my development as a, uh, as a Christian because he just doesn't even preach anymore. 
wait, aren't you blaming others for your lack of faith? Aren't you saying that if this was better, if that was different, if this was just a little bit better for me, I could then develop and I could then mature? No, wait. The reason Moses is questioning God is not because of a lack of faith on other people's part. It's directly a lack of faith in his own life. And God says, Moses, I've got a plan. I've got something great for you. And Moses says, Lord, but they probably wouldn't believe me. The problem was, they would believe. Moses was having difficulty believing. And he was trying to blame the fact that he did not want to go do what God was calling him to do on everybody else but himself. And we often blame others for the shortcomings in our life. I want you to notice, secondly... We not only blame others, we bury ourselves with our own inabilities. That's exactly what Moses does here. Verse number 10, the Bible says, And Moses said unto the Lord, after God had given him all these signs, his first excuse was, Lord, they wouldn't believe. So God gives him three signs. You throw your rod on the ground, Moses. You pick it up again, it'll become a serpent. You pick it up again, it'll become a rod. Moses, you place your hand in your coat, you pull it up, it'll be a leprous hand. You place it back in your coat, it'll be just like it never had leprosy at all. Then Moses, if they don't believe you on those two signs, you take some water and you pour it out on dry ground and that water will become blood and all the rest will stay water. Moses, I'll give you three signs to make sure they'll believe you. And then we find out what Moses' real dilemma was. Verse number 10. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. I want you to notice two words, well really three words that Moses uses here. He says, O my Lord, what's the next three words in the verse 10? I am not. Moses is exactly right. Moses is not. But you know what God said in in chapter number 3? I am. Moses says, I can't. God says, I can. Moses says, I'm weak. God says, but I am strong. Moses says, I don't have the ability. God says, I've got all the ability you'll ever need. Moses says, Lord, I just can't see. God says, I'll give you the vision. Moses says, I'm not. And God says, but I am. How often do we blame our own inabilities on, on God's lack of ability to use us in the ministry? I'm taken back how many people look at people in the Bible and say, but he had it going on for him. No, all those men in the Bible suffered like passions that is us. All those men in the Bible faced difficulties just like us. None of them were perfect. None of them were righteous. The only difference between them and us is they allowed an almighty, powerful, omnipotent, awesome God to use them. That's the only difference. 
What we need to stop doing is burying ourselves under our own insecurities and our own inabilities and say, but God, I'm just not the most clever. But God says, but I am all wisdom. But God, I just don't have power when I preach. God says, I give you boldness when the time comes for you to stand up and speak. God says, we say, oh Lord, I'm just so weak and feeble. God says, but I am your strength and I am your high terror. We say, I am not, and God always responds with the same answer. But I am. I just shudder to think how many people have disqualified themselves from the ministry that God wants them to do because they just say, Lord, I just don't feel like I can. Truth is, you can't. But God can. I want you to notice two lessons that God teaches Moses here. First of all, He teaches in the lesson of the Creator. Verse number 10, Moses says, But Lord, I'm not eloquent. I don't speak well. I'm slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And verse number 11, The Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Did you know that God uniquely created and designed you? In fact, the very first huddle in the Bible where God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit came together and put their minds together even more so than they already were, you know what that meeting was about? Let us make man in our image. The first meeting that they ever had in the Bible was trying to decide how to make you. And you ought to feel special. The Bible says in Psalm 139, verse 14, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. You understand when God designed you, He uniquely fashioned you for everything that you would ever encounter. You are special. You're not like animals. You're not like other beings. You are specially created in the image of an almighty heavenly Father. And the fact that Moses here in his insecurity looks at God and says, but God, I just don't speak well. God says, you don't think I knew that when I made you? God says, I took time to make you. Moses, I perfectly crafted you for this moment in time. Moses says, Lord, I just don't feel. God says, no, you don't understand. When I decided how to form you, I created you so uniquely and individually for this moment in time. And he gave him everything he would need to accomplish the will of God in his life. Isn't it kind of a slap in our Creator's face when we look at him and say, but God, if I was just a little bit better in this area. Are we not questioning an all-knowing God? Saying, God, if you had just made me a little bit taller... God, if you would have made me just a little bit more like Brother Ant... No, 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 no. God, if you would have just made me better looking. God, if I was just funnier. God, if I just was more creative. God, if I just... If I just... But wait. God equipped you exactly how He wanted to equip you. And anything that God ever calls you to do, you're not going to find yourself under-tooled because God perfectly crafted you. Wouldn't it be funny if we go down to Home Depot, I'm looking to plant a tree, and I find myself in need of a shovel. 
I go down to the shovel aisle and I see about three shovels and one of them's kind of cheap and flimsy. It's the cheapest and lowest in cost. And the other one has a, a plastic handle and I look at it and it doesn't really fit my need. And I look at the most expensive shovel there and I, I see that it's got a wooden handle. It's a strong handle. It fits my hands well. It's well balanced and the metal looks like it's going to hold up to to maybe hitting the occasional rock. And it's a good shovel, but it's the most expensive. I decide that if I'm going to plant a tree, I'm going to do it well. So I, I spend the money and I get the most expensive shovel. I get home and I take that shovel and I'm about to put it in the dirt. And that shovel actually has the ability to speak. And that shovel looks at me and says, You know, I don't really feel like digging. I think I would be much better suited cutting. I, I, I think that I would be better at, say, cutting plants and, and maybe trimming trees. And then I respond to the shovel, no, I, I bought you for this purpose. This is the exact reason I purchased you. And the shovel says, but I don't want to. And I say to the shovel, it really doesn't matter what you want because I bought you to dig. That's the reason you were made. That's the reason you were purchased was for this moment in time. Friend, did you know that the reason you were created and the reason that Christ's blood delivered you from the hell that you should face was for a very unique purpose? I don't know what that purpose is in your life. I, I know that you have a great commission placed upon you just like I do. I know that you're called to live holy in a sinful, wicked world. But us looking at God and saying, God, if you'd have just made me just a little bit different, is no different than a shovel speaking and saying, but I don't want to do this. It's arrogant. It's prideful. It's looking at God and saying, God, if you would have just been a little bit smarter when you made me. You say, Brother Andrew, you're walking on thin water. No, you are. When you question God's ability to craft you and you say, I just don't feel like I can serve God. No, we are questioning a creator. And we are, we are assuming that we are not good enough to serve in the ministry. I read the Bible and it's full of people who had occasional losses in battle. I'm reminded of Thomas. If I do not touch Jesus' scars, then I won't believe. If I don't see it from my own eyes and I don't feel it with my own hands, there's no way I believe. Did you know he may have lost that battle, but he sure won a lot after that moment? Don't allow your insecurities to bury you. Understand that God created you to do something great for Him. And if we'll just find out what that is and then pursue it, you'll never be regretful that you did. Thirdly, and we're actually almost done, you say, Brother Andrew, it's a short one. Well, hopefully you'll listen the whole time then. Secondly, the lesson about His contribution. Verse number 12. Moses says, God... I just, I'm slow of speech, and God says, but you don't understand, I made you, Moses. I made you for this moment. But the second lesson God teaches Moses is the lesson about how God will contribute to the cause. Look at verse number 12. Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, 
and teach thee what thou shalt say. How easy it is for us to just go about our everyday life ready to fight whoever comes down our path and we do it in our own flesh and we do it in our own ability, but that was never God's plan for our life. In fact, Jesus said, when I leave, I shall not leave you comfortless, but I will send unto you the Comforter. And when He has come, He will guide you and lead you into all truth. He did not leave us helpless down here. God sent the Holy Spirit of God to equip us and to help us. Do you know God has never called anybody to do anything great for Him and just said, well, now you're at it alone. I'm reminded of David standing there on on the valley top, looking down into the valley. And every man of Israel just, he's just shaking in his armor saying, God, there's no way I could fight Goliath. There's just no way. David says, is not someone going to go down and shut this uncircumcised Philistine up? Eliab standing there. His other brother standing there. King Saul, the one who was head and shoulders above everybody else, standing there eating cheese. No, there's no way I could fight him. David says, I'll go down there, if not just so that somebody will be able to defend God. And when he stands before Goliath, Goliath's all talking smack. Goliath was a pretty good smack talker. He says, I will, I will devour you. The dogs will eat your flesh and birds. And David just says, I'll come to you in the name of the Lord. David understood that even in that valley with everybody watching him, he was not there alone. If David had gone alone, he would have been outclassed. David says, all I know is I've got this one little weapon, but I've got a great big God that will help me through this. I don't know what God's asking you to do. Maybe it's something so simple like take the next step in your spiritual journey. How about you start a discipleship curriculum? How about you go soul winning? How about you just witness to your lost family members and your relatives? How about you just start caring about your Christianity instead of allowing this world to seep into your mind thinking that, oh, Christianity is just a, just a philosophy. No, Christianity is not just a lifestyle. It ought to change your life completely. And maybe God's asking you to do that. You say, well, Brother Andrew, I just don't even know how to start. Start like this. God, any great spiritual decision that's been started has to be fulfilled through you, or else it will always fail. And you can come to an old-fashioned altar, you can stay at your dirty old seat that smells just like you. And you can bear me before a Heavenly Father and say, God, I know you're working in my heart to accomplish something great, but without you, I can do nothing. So, Father, through you, I can accomplish great things. I just feel like sometimes we fight battles in our own strength and we realize just exactly how weak we are. And we're very unfamiliar with how strong our God is because we've never fought battles through Him and in Him before. We bury ourselves under our own inabilities. Thirdly, I want you to notice this. Not only do we blame others... We bury ourselves under our own inabilities. Thirdly, we beg for others to be selected instead of us. Look at verse number 13. I'm not making anything up here. I'm not reading anything into Scripture that's not here. Verse number 13, Moses says, God, send somebody else instead of me. 
Verse 13, let's read it together. And he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. You know the easiest way to understand that? God, I'm asking you to send somebody else instead of me. God, I I really don't want to go. God, I know this cause is a very noble one. Lord, I know that there's probably great things you have, but how about you let somebody else accomplish those great things because I just don't feel like it right now. I wonder how often we're waiting for the preacher to do the visit instead of us. I wonder how often we bring cards and say, Brother Andrew, I, I know of somebody who needs Jesus. Well, I know of somebody who knows him. I wonder how often we're expecting others to do God's work for us instead of allowing us to do it for Him. I want you to notice two things we're done. First of all, when we do this and we ask others to go in our place, we prioritize our own needs over the needs of others. May I remind you where Israel is right now? They're in bondage. They're slaves. Egypt, which is a biblical type of the world, it is the, if you'll forgive the illustration, the Las Vegas of the day. It is exceedingly wicked, and that's where Israel is. Morally, Israel is corrupt. Spiritually, they're corrupt. And they have a corrupt government placed over them, and they're in bondage. Now let's think about where Moses is. Moses actually has established himself quite well. He escaped Egypt. For 40 years he's been in the wilderness. He actually met a man who had several daughters, and he gave unto him one of his daughters, and he actually had a son, and he named him Gershom. What a good name, amen? If I ever have a son, I promise you I won't name him Gershom. If I ever have a son, pray for me, please. Pray. Be in prayer. Amen. Moses is a shepherd. I would, now I'm assuming a little bit here, but for a man to live 40 years in the same place, I would assume that he has to have quite an established abode or dwelling place. He probably has a nice little ranch. He's probably got animals that Jethro, his father in law, uh, helped him establish his own little herd, and he's probably working his herd and Jethro's, and he's got his own job, he's got a good little family, and and things are actually not looking so bad for Moses right now. Even though he's in the wilderness, he is doing great in the wilderness. But where's the children of Israel? They're in bondage. Moses may be free, but his brethren were not. And God says, Moses, I have heard the cry and the affliction of your brethren. And I need you to go. I've got great plans for you. You're going to be my messenger. You're going to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And he's not going to let them go. And you're going to do great works in my... Moses, I've got great plans. And Moses says, you know what? The wilderness ain't so bad. For you educated folk, the wilderness isn't so bad. But the children of Israel were still in bondage. And do you understand how Moses kind of prioritizes his needs over the needs of others? Your life is exactly the same. You have people that you can influence that I don't even know. 
You have in- influence that I could never even dream of having. Some of you are, are, are hugely important in, in, in Fortune 500 companies. People look up to you. In fact, you're other people's boss. They call you the boss man. And you have influence that I can never even dream of having. You know why it's important for you to walk the Christian walk and be the Christian God's asking you to be and take the next step in your Christian life? You know why? Because they need you to. And you can sit there all day and say, Oh, but God, I just... I just I, I hope that somebody else will go in my place. God, I, I hope that others may, may feel the burden. I know you're asking me, but send others. But others cannot go for you. And others are, are in bondage. There are people hurting because you're waiting. You're stalling and you're delaying from actually pursuing God's will in your life. And there are people waiting for you to stand up and be the man in your house. Your wife prays every night that you'll stand up and actually start prioritizing God's will in your life. Your children look at Dad and say, Boy, I wish Dad maybe acted a little bit more like Christ every once in a while. I wish Dad didn't come home angry all the time. I wish Dad didn't work so many long hours. I wish Dad would start spending time with me. I wish Dad would be a better man for me. There's people that need you to step up and be the man of God that you're called to be. Mom, there's people in your life, your husband prays every night, that you would stop putting so much unnecessary pressure on him and that you would just be submissive to him and you would pray for your children and you would be a godly mother and stop spilling your gossip all over Facebook and other, every other stupid, what is it called, Pat, what is it called, Sean? All the, social media sites! Big bone social media? And your husband has to come to church and catch flat for what you said on social media. And your husband just, man, I wish you'd shut that account down. Well, that'd be the best spiritual decision some of you people could make. Well, I tell you, there's just people that are needing you to step up. But here's what we do. We prioritize our needs and our desires and our wants and our wishes over the benefit of others. We say, you know what? They can stay where they are as long as I can stay where I'm at. The difference is, although you may be content, they're suffering because of you. And we're prioritizing our needs over the needs of others. We prioritize God's will or our will over God's will. We prioritize our will over God's will. If you read chapter 3, God, I mean, point A to point B to point C completely maps out the journey. Oftentimes we have to pursue God's will almost as if we're, we're taking steps in darkness. And I hope you know what I mean by that. We're, we're stepping and we're following and we say, God, reveal unto me the right path. That was not what Moses was dealing with. Moses knew everything that was going to go down. God didn't even lie to him, which God cannot lie, may I say, but God didn't even paint the picture that it was going to be easy. God says, you're going to face Pharaoh, and Pharaoh will not let you go right away. It's going to be hard. Every step of the journey that Moses had to walk, God told him of. And yet Moses kind of just sat back and, 
And, and, and he said, you know, I see your grand plan, and I see you've got it all mapped out. And I see that everything is going to accomplish a greater good, but you know what, God? I think I'm just going to pursue my own will right now and forego the will that you've got for me. You know, the Bible says, the Bible says, for my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. For as the heavens are higher than your thoughts, or as the heavens are higher, so are my thoughts than your thoughts and my ways than your ways. You see, God's thoughts, ways, and plans are so much greater than ours. And the choice is not, should we go down our path or God's path? It's, should we be promoted by God or should we just stay our own course? Should we allow God to do great things with us or should we limit our own abilities because we have our own will? That's what it is. God says, I've got grand plans. I've got awesome things for you. But what we do is we say, yeah, I see that, God. And I know you're asking me to take that next step. I, I realize you're asking me to teach a Sunday school class. I, I realize that you want me to drive a bus. But I really don't want to do that because I'm pursuing my own interest. You know, I know I'm supposed to come to church three times a week, every time the doors are open, but you know, just right now I've got things in my life and I'm pursuing my own will. You understand you're limiting your own success. Because God says, I've got grand plans, but we choose our own plans. What a shame. A few years ago, I took, I took the uh, seniors to California. It's our senior trip. We do it about every other year. We go to West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California. It's about a 20-hour drive of some of the ugliest and nastiest country you could ever ride in. It looks like every old Western movie. Did you know that every Western wasn't made in black and white? They, that's just the way the land looked. It doesn't have any color. It just looks all gray and nasty. It's just terrible country. No animals. I mean, if there's animals, at least I can watch. No, everything's dead. There's just nothing moves out there. We went the southern route, which is I-20, and we drove all the way to El Paso, which is about a 10-hour drive. So half the drive is through Texas, which I'm proud to say, amen. At least I'm still in Texas half the way. Now, half of Texas is ugly, just so you know, but at least it's Texas. From about Odessa to El Paso is pretty rough. We finally got to El Paso, and there comes a time when you're traveling on that route where I could literally throw a baseball from the interstate into Old Mexico. And I don't know if you've ever been to El Paso. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but the interstate's here. And if I had to guess a distance, I would probably say it's no more than 150 yards. Right over there, there's a small little, it really does not look like a river. It may be at best a creek. And, and there's a wall right there. And if you look on this side of the road, there's the University of Texas El Paso. They have this ginormous stadium. It's it's beautiful. It's in the middle of a canyon. It's kind of like just somebody dropped it in the middle of two mountains and wedged it down. It's awesome. It's a great stadium. 
this side of the road, there's skyscrapers and, and houses and businesses, and it's just car after car after car, all on your right. You know what's on your left? To call them sheds would be generous. And I, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but I literally would not allow my animals to stay in some of those houses. They are so unkept, they're stacked up like, like kennels. And I don't know if you've ever seen, I'm not trying to, uh, please, I'm not trying to poke fun. I, I'm trying to paint a picture in your mind. These people literally live on top of one another. It's terrible. This side's beauty, this side's terrible. We were kind of joking and cutting up as we were traveling down the road, and that's just what our youth department does. We, uh, we just have a good time. And I remember as we passed that, that point where it's so close, one of the girls who had never traveled that route, her name was Ashley, she looked over into Mexico, and I looked in the rearview mirror, and she asked, is that Mexico? And I said, yeah, that's Mexico. And I noticed a tear came down her face. And it hurt her, and it broke her heart that there were people in that condition so close to people in this condition. I wonder if God doesn't look down here sometimes and see us. And see the condition that we have, knowing a heavenly Father and knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are so close to having an impact in other people's lives. And He looks down waiting for us to do something, and He looks down under knowing that He's got this great cause for us to have a ministry, whether it's everybody's in full-time ministry, but you understand, you have a great plan in God's eyes. But I wonder if God doesn't look down with a broken heart sometimes, noticing what you have and others don't. I wonder if occasionally it doesn't break God's heart and grieve His Holy Spirit because of the condition we choose to remain in when there's others just so close to us that need our help. At the end of the day, it boils down to this. You can make excuse after excuse after excuse on reasons why you should not be a better Christian, reasons why you should not take that next step, reasons why you should not be a better father, better mother, better teenager, better child to your parents. You can make excuse all day, but useless excuses are what's keeping our church the way it is. Useless excuses is why we're not seeing more sinners converted. Useless excuses is why our church is not growing leaps and bounds. It's not the preachers, because all these preachers do is preach God's Word. Useless excuses is what's holding you back as a Christian. Amen. And the day we finally realize we cannot blame others any longer. We can't bury ourselves under our own insecurities and our own inability to say, God, I just can't. And we cannot just continue to allow ourselves to remain in the location we are in and not pity others around us and understand that they need what we have. Amen. Useless excuses is what's holding you back. And I hope tonight as we conclude the message, you won't allow a stupid, silly, and I'm sorry for using the word stupid, but that's exactly what it is. You won't allow a silly excuse to keep you in your seat when you know God's tugging on your heart.
And you want to allow a silly excuse to keep you where you are because if you stay where you are, guess what? You're choosing to stay where you are. 